Mark 13, we'll begin at verse 33 and read through verse 37. We've entitled the message Signs, if you want a title, because I haven't worked it out as I normally do. I really don't have one, but signs would be appropriate. As you know, I have preached messages in the past on signs of the times. I, as well as other men, have preached strictly from what the scripture says concerning signs of the end times, that is, the as the days of Noah were, and so on. I've heard other messages preached where there are signs taken out of society and what's going on around us, and I as well have done that. However, this morning, there are just a couple of areas that I would like to speak concerning signs. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. We realize, Father, that as the religions of the world labor to make themselves approved, to obtain status with God, or to become gods, or some other thing that is a false way apart from the scriptures, we labor only to present the truth, present the Lord Jesus Christ, to lift him up. Men and women and boys and girls might be drawn to him. We would do that this morning, for it's in his name that we preach that we ask these things. Forgive us our sins and shortcomings. Open our minds and understanding. Speak to that which you would have us to know. Send forth your word that it might not return unto you void. You promise to bless it. Help us to understand it. Work whatever work you would within us. We know the Lord Jesus Christ said that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, both now and that which is to come. It's in his name and to that purpose and end we ask these things. Amen. Now as I said, there are many preachers that I have heard and I have done that myself. We have preached on the end time signs that the scripture speaks about as the days of Noah were and so on. And then there are other times we have preached on some of the signs that are obvious around us that are happening. Sometimes we have to be careful with that because there are men who always are doing that and if we're not careful we speculate and we get into trouble. There are preachers over the last hundred years, well, really much longer than that, but in this particular century that have preached messages, signs of the times, that most certainly Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist, that Mussolini was the Antichrist. Uh, the ancient Waldenses, among others, the Anabaptists, they believed the Pope was the Antichrist, and so on. And so they missed the mark because they speculated too far with what was being, they felt, shown to them in their present time. How can we do that and be careful? Well, we want to read to you, first of all, Mark 13, beginning at verse 33. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. He's giving some instruction that we need. He says, take ye heed. Now, in the King James, when you see Y-E, ye, it is the plural you. Today, if I say, uh, I'm glad to see you, and I'm looking at Ralph, I may be just singular, looking at Ralph. But if I say, I'm glad to see you, or when we get here in Farther South, we say you all, so we understand that, to be plural you. In the King James time, ye meant plural you, because they used thee, thou, and so on. So we know when we read this in the King James, it's easy for us to understand. He's talking to all of us, not just one particular person 
or group. He says, take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter or the gatekeeper to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even or evening or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. What I say unto you, I say unto you all, watch. That which the Lord Jesus Christ is saying is specifically this. We'll just take a moment of uh, exposition. He's talking about or telling a story compared to him leaving the earth and eventually coming back. And he says to do several things. He says to take heed. In other words, if I told you this morning some particular thing and I said take heed, that means pay attention to it, consider it, listen to it, act upon it. So if I say take heed, and that's what the Lord Jesus says, that's one thing. Watch. We say watch. It's not just like watching a movie, or it's not the idea of saying, well, I'd like to eat dinner, but I'm watching for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back. I'm watching for this to happen, so I can't. It doesn't mean to the exclusion of all else. To watch means to be aware of what's taking place or what's coming. You and I know from the Scripture the Lord Jesus Christ says he will return. Now, we live in a day and time when people are going away from that. You may not think so. You may think that on the cable and other places you're hearing people talking about the coming of Christ and it's not far away, and that's true. I believe it's not. I believe this generation will see it. Don't have time to get into that. At any rate, there are those today who are changing their position, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. We need to know what people mean just because they use the same terms we do doesn't mean they believe the same things we do. There are people today in all kinds of cults and false organizations that use the same words, terms, but they mean something entirely different than what the scripture means. So he says to take heed, to watch, and the third thing, always pray. Pray is communication. When I talk to you, if we stand and talk after church or, or I, whatever the case, wherever we are, and I like to talk, and we stop and visit, we're communicating with each other. Prayer is communication with God. It's not necessary to use thee and thou, although some of us have been brought up in that tradition. The important thing is that we speak to God from a heart that is pure and honest. We want to speak to him. Of course, the scripture says in the 139th chapter, uh, I'm sorry, you never say chapter, you say the 139th Psalm, that he knows our thoughts afar off before we ever say them. He knows our going in and out. He knows what we're doing. He knows all about us because we are, well, as it were, naked before him with whom we have to do. He knows all there is to know about us. And prayer is communication with God. So when we speak to him in prayer, there are instructions on how to do that, bring thanksgiving and so on, and let our requests be made known unto God. We are communicating with him. So, he says the reason to do those things because you don't know when the time is. He tells us another place there are signs that we can see that we know the time is coming. Then he gives a little picture. He says the second coming of Christ he's talking about is like the Son of Man 
takes a far journey, and when he leaves, those that he leaves behind, he gives authority to his servants, and he gives every man or person his or her work that he wants them to do. Not everybody are preachers. Not everybody are teachers. Not everyone is a an intercessor. Not everyone is something, but everyone has a gift or something that they can do. I've told you before, some of you have some beautiful gifts you don't realize. Some of you have the gift of being able to comfort and just say things that give peace and, and uh, assurance. Some of you have the gift of giving. Some of you have the gift of teaching. Some of you have the gift of various other things. So he says he left every man his work, and he commanded the porter, the gatekeeper, the Holy Spirit, as far as I'm concerned, to watch. And he tells us then, watch, be aware of what's going on, because you don't know when the master is going to come, even midnight, morning, whatever the case might be. Why? Does that mean if he comes and finds his servants not doing what they should, they're lost? Not what he's saying. He says, last coming suddenly he find you sleeping. What are people doing today? What does Romans tell us? Now it's high time to wake out of sleep. Our salvation is closer than it first was. What are people doing today? They're quietly taking naps all over the country, all over the world. The basic precept, the heart of the gospel and so on has been laid aside in favor of other things. I turned on the TV this morning for a while and become very ill in the mornings with the medicine or something. And sometimes it helps me take my mind off of it. And there was the community church. Uh, I think it's at Marble Cliff. I'm not sure. Dick Wing is the pastor. I heard him say and do things in that message that are not lawful or right to do. People are coming to the place where this is a day and time. You know that t-shirt you say, do your own thing and all that sort of thing? that many are doing that in religious circles, and we'll get into that in just a moment, and why that is and what we can expect. But he said, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. Is it a bad thing to be asleep? Yes, we don't have time to get into that this morning. There's several things I want to say. Then he says, what I say unto you, those he was immediately speaking to, I say unto all, watch. Be aware of what's happening. You know, in Columbus, you go out into the, uh, the uh, parking lots, at the shopping centers or other places, they tell you to be aware of your surroundings because of the rapes and the muggings and all that sort of thing that goes on. Watch. Be aware of who's around you and where you are and what's happening. I'm guilty of that. I don't think anybody's going to do those things to me, but it's possible. I should be aware, but that's the kind of thing that we ought to be doing as far as our life is concerned. Be aware of what's happening. What's happening in our country? What's happening in the world? You say, well, there's so many of these things that might be signs or might not. Well, we're going to show you some that the scripture speaks about that are in the time that we have this morning. I want to simply divide the message into two parts this morning or three. And one of them is some of the signs I see that tell me we're in the last times. I doubt that we could find very many people this morning who are fundamentals, evangelicals and so on, that would not agree that we are approaching the last days. These are not the last days. These are the beginnings. People say, well, what will happen when the world ends? Believe it or not, the world will never end. What do you say? I always heard that. Everybody says the world's coming to an end. This present world order, this earth on which you stand, will burn up the heavens and the earth. 
and the wicked will be cast into hell, but the Bible says there's a new heaven and a new earth. That new Jerusalem, Jenny sang about. And that will be for the eternal ages. Yes, I realize the tribulation's coming and then the millennial kingdom and so on, but I'm talking about the very last things, the eternal ages, the new heaven, the new earth, and the continuous, glorious light that God has for us. Won't be strumming a harp or having a halo or bouncing around through the clouds. It'll be serving him. He's prepared places for us. Jesus said that before he left. He said, let not your heart be troubled. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. And if those things that he told us at that time weren't so, he said, I would have told you. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. Many compartments in his father's house. In my father's house are many mansions or compartments. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, he said, I'll come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So he's preparing a place. Now, the things that I see that are negative, that tell me that these are the end times, and they're not readily seen by some people. For you, much easier, no doubt, because of the position we hold on the scriptures and so on. We believe the scriptures are literally the word of God. That what they say is literal. That when we read something there, God means exactly what he says. And where it's obvious that it's figurative or symbolic, then we look for what the teaching is, what it is that God wants to tell us. But the Bible is literal. Today people says contains the word of God. Then throw it away. You don't know which part's the word of God and which part's not. You can't find it. If this is not the word of God. People say this is not the word of God, but it's a good guide for us. Throw it away. No good. You need the word of God. Either this is the word of God or it is not. It is. And we believe it is literal. And God is speaking to us and telling us the things he wants us to know. Are they always easily understood? No, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We can study. Do I know everything the Bible says and teaches? (laughs) Absolutely not. If I had 300 years to study the scriptures, I probably couldn't get it all. And the important thing is it depends on the Spirit of God opening your eyes and understanding. Have you never read a portion of Scripture and gone through it and uh, you read it a hundred times maybe? And one day you're reading it and suddenly it has a brand new meaning. It grips you. The Spirit of God speaks something to you and you begin to, to rejoice in there. You say, well, why, why didn't I see that? Why hasn't God spoken this to me before? Because it wasn't time. He moves us along at different spiritual paces, as I told you. Some are here, some are here, some are here. Some grow by leaps and bounds, some by small amounts, little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept, and so on. Now, the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and, well, we'll just read a couple of verses. The people at Thessalonica had been upset because they believed, the, they believed that the day of the Lord had come and other things that were upsetting them. And Paul wrote them this letter, second time, to tell them several things in there. This is a good chapter to preach from. We only want to use a couple of verses. Verse 2. Well, we should, maybe we should read verse 1. Now we beseech you or beg you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, 
For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Apostasia. Apostasy. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. When will that day of apostasy begin? I submit to you now it's already begun. I see it daily and weekly and monthly and yearly, have for a while and it grows greater and greater. I see men that I once trusted and supported and believed and helped change their position in the scriptures and say, well, this is no longer true, but this is. I see men in our own fellowship saying, well, the imminency of the Lord Jesus Christ coming, that means he could come today, tonight, tomorrow, anytime before the message is finished, whatever. They say, well, we now believe that that's wrong. He won't come until the end of the tribulation. The church has to go through it. You'd be surprised at how many sound men have come to that position. There are others who say, well, he, he won't come until we overcome the world and make it a Christian world. We'll never see that. All things are not getting worse, they're better. I can think of a dozen new books that tell about the great revival that's coming in the end times. I don't believe a great revival's coming. I believe that God's people will be saved. I believe there'll be a lot of people saved. I don't think there's any revival. Who's telling us that the revival's coming? Charismatics, mostly. And what are they preaching and teaching? Good portion, it's not in the Word. We even have some of the charismatics breaking fellowship with charismatics over some of the teaching. He says, don't anyone deceive you except that apostasia come and then the revealing of the Antichrist. I personally, and this is simply my opinion, it's not the word of God, but I believe the Antichrist is alive now. Apart from that, the apostasia that's spoken of here and the time coming, and I'll tell you why in a few minutes, when the Antichrist will be revealed. Well, what do we see? What do we see in the way of apostasy? Well, a general apostasy in the last hundred years from the time of the higher criticisms and so on, even before that somewhat, we have today, and I've told you before, if John and Charles Wesley came back and sat down in one of the churches that bear their names today, they wouldn't recognize it. If some of the other men came to some of the movements and denominations today, they wouldn't recognize them. Some men that I've had a great deal of respect for, I hear saying wrong things. Last night, I listened to Jack and Rexella Van Empey. If you watch that, if you have cable or whatever it is, you heard him say that he wants to see brothers and sisters in Christ accepting and loving each other. For that reason, he accepts the Roman Catholics and everyone else. Now, wait a minute. That sounds good. I accept anyone who knows the Lord Jesus Christ. I can have fellowship with any brother or sister any place. But now let's take that person and ask them, are you a saved person? Yes. How were you saved? I was baptized and had my sins washed away. What scripture says? Well, what about you? Well, I was baptized in the inner temple and, and my sins are forgiven. I'm going to be like God one of these days. That's what the Bible says. What's your salvation based on? Well, I belong to a church and I've taken the sacraments and and uh, I do penance and I do all these things that makes God accept me. That isn't what the Bible says. We need to be careful. Do I accept anyone who's a born-again person? Absolutely. I don't care what they came out of. But if they're holding fast to those things, if they're holding things that are anti-word, anti-God, believing they're in a right state, I have to reject those systems. I cannot accept them. 
What other apostasia is there? Some of you may hear, and I've listened to him for some time, Jack Hayford in the Church of the Way. I heard him take just this past week, and I'm thinking about writing a letter to him. I don't have enough time to do the things I want to do, but he said in 1 Timothy 3, he said, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop or overseer or servant, he desireth a good work. That's not just for preachers, not just for deacons. It's for everybody who's a servant of God. Then why do we have this office for the pastor and for the deacon? It's easy to change things to fit what's going on in the world and our modern movements. It's easy for me to go back to the scriptures like anyone else and say, well, it says this, but really means that. Or here's a new light on that. You know, we used to call them in, in the landmark circles new lighters because they would find things that the scripture didn't say. There is much apostasy today. Just because a man or a movement says that he is God's servant, we need to examine that. Anything that deviates from the word of God is wrong. What's the Bible say? Let God be true, every man a liar. We need to hear what the Bible says. The bottom line is, are we going to trust the Bible and follow it and do what it says, or are we going to take the traditions of men and the new revelations of some people and so on, which are we going to take? I'll tell you this, there's only one way that you can take, and that is the Bible as the Word of God and what the Bible says. But today we find people who say, well, over here it says this, uh, that's no longer uh, viable for today. These are different times. <gasps> Not a different God. It's the same God. It's the same Word. It's the same qualifications. It's the same negative, the same positive. God hasn't changed. In days past, well, they said, well, but God used to wink at sin before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He overlooked that. Today, God has a sense of humor. I heard man say there in the pulpit, he said, because this person died, that was not God's will. And he said, when that boy went off the automobile into the waters, the waters closed over him and he died, he said, the first heart was broken was God's. That makes good sentiments and pretty preaching. But we need to see what the word of God says. Is God a loving God? Absolutely. But he's not sentimental and wish washing He doesn't say, oh, I hate to see you blaspheming my name and and running with those whores, and being drunk all the time, and doing this or that, I, I'll have to save him in the end. He's just been naughty. That isn't what God says at all. So we need to understand what the Scripture says. The bottom line, will we follow it? Will we accept it literally? Or will we change it? What's happening today? Going away from the faith. Changing it. Changing what the words say. They mean this, but they don't mean that. They mean something else. So there is some apostasia. What are the positive things before our time's completely gone that make me think these are the last days? The one great sign in the scripture. Now there are several. We could preach on a lot of them this morning, but there's one. And that was the rebirth, the calling back of Israel in May of 1948 until today. Up until that time, it was an impossibility. There would never, Israel would never come back, people said. Jews weren't causing anything but trouble. 
So we do away with them. We murder them in vast numbers and we exile them. We do all these things. It'll never happen. But the Bible said that in the last times, God would put Israel back in the land. A multitude of scriptures we don't have time to go to today that speak of that in the Old Testament. And we're explained in the New why God is doing the things he's doing to the Jews and what he will do to them and so on. What happened in May of 1948? If I had time to go back over Allenby and all the other things that happened, it looked like, well, these are just circumstances. Man, that was a lucky break for them. This happened so they could do that. God did that. It wasn't a lucky break. God controls the affairs of men. He manipulates them. He brings them to his own purpose and glory. He uses the wicked. He uses the saved. So he saves the wicked because he uses them now. God can subdue the wrath of man. The remainder will praise him. And so there was Israel. That's the one greatest sign today. Well, what's happening? Jews have poured into Israel, the Aliyah, from all over the world. Even Ethiopian black Jews, Russian Jews, and others. But what's happened? Well, the world says Israel is trying to cheat these Palestinians and these Arabs out of their land. Do you know that when Israel became a state, the United Nations gave Israel all of that land, which was already theirs because God said it was, and then because the Arabs protested, the wars came and the Six-Day War and all the other things on down into modern times, they cited and they said, well, that's, that's the way it is. What's happening today? Peace movement in Israel? What does the scripture teach us is going to happen just before or right at the time of the appearance of the Antichrist? Well, there's going to be peace. Here's Israel who's sitting down at the table with their enemies. Now, when you say Israel, you must remember this. If we look at all the people in Israel, I think there's some seven or eight different kinds of Jews that are Hasidic. They're just simply Zionists. There are the people who are not religious Jews. There are some that are ultra-Orthodox, Orthodox, and so on, and they're looking for Messiah to come. They're all kinds, but they're not all there saying, well, we're here because this is God's plan and purpose, and so we just got to get things. Well, they don't realize that's happening. They're looking for Messiah. They know God's giving back the land, that is, the religious Jews. The others are angry because they're giving away part of the land. But anyway, as Rabin and the others sit down at the table, they're willing to make concessions in order to have peace. People said, well, that has to be the peace pact, the peace treaty that the Antichrist is going to give us. No, but it's the beginnings of it. And I was thinking about this this morning. Went into my study and sat down for just a few minutes. Back in Daniel, where it tells us that when these end times come and Israel will have a time of peace, and before they do that, they're going to reinstitute temple worship. The temple will be, will be rebuilt. But they'll institute temple worship whether they have the temple or not. We'll come to that conclusion. So I watched a program in, on Israel. And lo and behold, as the spokesman was saying, now over the last years, they have all of the vessels they need for the temple completed. Finished. I've told you about the priest's garments being made there in Jerusalem and all the other things. What do they need to do yet? They need the ashes of the red heifer to purify those implements and to reinstitute temple worship and so on. The man this morning, the rabbi, said, we can do that even if we don't have the temple. We have still some aspects of temple worship we can begin. So they're ready. 
I told you a couple of years ago, I think it was whenever the ultra-conservatives had the cornerstone, they wanted to haul it down to the Temple Mount, start rebuilding. The Israeli government had to stop them. Innocent time, of course. Close. So Israel is ready to reinstitute temple worship. Here are all the vessels. A man is made, has made already, I believe, a shipment from Texas of red heifers that he's purified. Now there's there's two opinions. Part of the Jewish community says, that's okay. You purify and breed this red heifer, then we can use those ashes according to the Old Testament so they don't believe Christ has come. And they will they can purify and start up temple worship. The other half says, no, you can't do that. You have to have the original red heifer ashes that were hidden from the time of the Maccabees or so on, wherever they are, probably under the temple in, in the caverns or whatever. But be that as it all may, I want you to understand that it is, the preparation is finished. Well, then the Bible says that Antichrist will make a covenant. That isn't what it says at all. If we examine it. Now remember, Israel already has signed some accords. They've made peace with Egypt. They will, I think, soon with Jordan, with Assyria. And I think with the rest of the Palestinians. But it says in verse 27 of Daniel 9, now notice, when the Antichrist comes, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, or the seven years of tribulation, and in the midst of the week he shall, that is three and a half years, 42 months, he shall cause a sacrifice and the oblation, to cease, and for the overspreading of the abominations, he shall make it desolate even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate or the desolator. What are we talking about? It says he will confirm the covenant with many, the beginning of the tribulation. He'll tell the Jews, that's fine, have your temple, go ahead, have the oblation, the sacrifices, you're okay, I'll guarantee it. In the middle of that time, according to Thessalonians and other places, it says that he will, the Antichrist will say, I'm God. Here's an image made to me. The false prophet will give it life. They'll deceive multitudes of people. He'll sit down in the temple and say that he is God. He will defile, even as though Antiochus Epiphanes did way back, slaughtered the saw on the sow on the altar and so on. The Antichrist himself will cause that problem. Well, all right, it says here he shall confirm. What does confirm the covenant? Doesn't mean make a covenant. The covenant is already in the process of being made. I'm convinced of that. I think these are the beginnings of that. But it says the Antichrist will confirm. What does it mean to confirm? The Hebrew word there means to make stronger, to enhance it, to guarantee it. And so the Antichrist is going to do what? He's going to confirm better the covenant that's going on. I believe the beginnings of those covenants now. When he appears, and that could be very soon, he's going to confirm or strengthen that covenant or guarantee it. Who is he? I have no idea. Where is he? I don't know. But I know these things are close to coming to pass. All right, if that be the case, then what do we say? Say the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ can't be far off. We believe he's coming before the tribulation period, before all these things when God deals with the Jews. He deals with the Gentiles now. This is the Gentile age. And when he raptures, translates, if you will, the church. And all of the people who are saved everywhere. Then begins the tribulation. And he will be dealing with the Jews primarily during that time. Then at the end of the tribulation, the battle of Armageddon, setting up the millennial kingdom on earth. How close then is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it's closer than it's ever been, of course, but I believe that it is extremely close. 
And have I more time, another hour or two, we could talk about other things, and I can't do that. But I want to, as we draw to our close, point out this verse, John 8, 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. This entire world is Satan's kingdom. It's a kingdom of darkness. Oh, I know there's light outside, but I'm talking about spiritual darkness. The Bible says that Satan is the god of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. He has the ability to give the goods of this world to whosoever he will. Just he told the Lord Jesus Christ there on the mount as he showed Jesus all the kingdoms. He said, these are mine to give to whosoever I will, whoever I want to give them to. Who gives the lottery money and all the other things? Satan has that power. But it's spiritual darkness, it's death. Those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he does something. His spirit quickens them. Enables you to understand and have that witness within you and translates you from the kingdom of death and darkness to the kingdom of light and life. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of that kingdom where there's life and hope and renewal. You and I are in the light. Do we know everything there is to know? No. Do we live perfectly as Christians? Absolutely not. But the Lord Jesus Christ, for those of us who trust him, who receive him as Savior, gives us a power and a desire and an assurance that nobody else on the face of the earth has. He says sin won't have dominion over you. Do we sin? Do we make mistakes? Yes. What do we do? We confess those sins. We get up and we go on and God continues to work within us. Who's the author and finisher of our faith? Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. I'm convinced, I'm persuaded that he who hath what? Begun a good work in you will do what? He'll accomplish it. He'll continue it till the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd say to you this morning, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That has action with it. Trust him. Receive him. And he will give you understanding of the scripture. He'll give you peace. He'll give you a power and a strength that you've never had before. He'll make these things visible and known to you. I wish I could go out this morning. I know I'm running a little bit over. I wish I could go out this morning and, and talk to people and be sure they would understand what the scripture says and get them to make a decision and be sure the spirit would quicken them and they could be born again. But there's no assurance for that. I do that. I want to do that. I want to preach and continue to witness to people. But I wish if I could be guaranteed that they would understand that I'd stop right now. I'd quit working the job. I'd simply leave this afternoon and I'd cover as many people as I could on the face of the earth before that time comes. Truth is, we know that there are many who will not believe, many who will reject the message. Many Christians today who are living in a way that they don't believe Christ's coming back. In fact, they don't believe too much anything. They just go along. As long as they go to a church or they belong someplace or they have some kind of assurance, it's okay. The more you read the scripture, the more you pray and commune with God, the stronger you'll grow and the more it'll be seen in your life. It's just like the computer. If I sit down at that computer and I put garbage in there, it'll give me garbage back. If we feed on the good things, on the word of God, on wholesome, worthwhile, what's left, TV programs, literature, the other things in our life, if we feed on those things, it shows. If we feed on the things that are not, it shows. You know that the nutrition says you are what you eat. To an extent, that's true. Diet can cause you problems and death eventually, depending on what you eat. Well, it's the same with the Lord Jesus Christ, with the scripture. 
Feed on the living bread of life, the living water of life. He'll strengthen you and give you that which you have need of that will never perish and never die. And you'll have the assurance of all the things and the promises that God has for you and I. Father, we commit these words into your hands this morning. We ask, Holy Spirit of God, you would do them with them as it pleases you. Enable us. Help our unbelief. Give us that which we have need of, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.